Our scripture today is from the book of John, chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. Very truly, I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate but climbs in by another way is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls out his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again, Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come and go out and find pasture. The thief comes in only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the word of the Lord. The world is full of charlatans. There used to be this preacher that was on late at night that I would watch. He would come into an auditorium, traveled around country, the country to this and that different auditorium. And while he was there, he would get a word from God, place his fingers aside of his head, and then he would pull almost out of the air a name. And sure enough, that name was somebody in his audience. And then he would pull out from another part of the air a disease, an ailment, a problem they were suffering. John has leukemia. A guy named John would stand up and say, that is me. And this minister would go over and lay both hands aside his head and say a prayer and with boldness declare that the person would be healed. It was euphoric and ecstatic and it was a moment of solidarity with the people around the new person healed. They would often run after being healed, feeling much better in the moment. The problem was the people who were healed were not healed very long, and there was a study, investigation really, done into this man's ministry. Turns out that while you, the infirm, showed up at one of his healing shows, you would wait in some gathering space, fill out the card that says your name and address and ailment. And it turns out also that his wife was behind stage with a list of names and spoke into a microphone which went through a little transistor into a little thing in his ear that would tell him who to call on, and it would tell him what disease to call out. He was exposed. The world is full of charlatans, and history has seen its fair share of megalomaniacs. Who of us doesn't remember, or at least remember studying about, a guy by the name of Reverend Jim Jones of the People's Temple? He told his people that there was a new way to bring God's world order to bear upon our world. They needed to flee this government, this country, this crooked place down to Guyana, South America and set up a utopic society called Jonestown. There he ruled pretty strongly and with a very tight order over the people. People were getting word out to their family members that they wished to go home back to America, but Jim wouldn't let them. So a senator from the States flew down with a cohort to explore and see what was going on with part of his contingency down there in Guyana. He looked around. He was given the dog and pony show by Jim Jones and all of his associates, but he knew something was fishy. He and his cohort went back to the airstrip to board their plane back to the United States when Jim Jones, well, he got a little bit more paranoid again. 
He knew that the senator was going to bring back the United States government with him, and so he ordered his own people to gun the senator down and his colleagues. Mr. Jones knew at that point in time there was no resisting the United States government. They would come for him indeed. And so quite famously, quite heinously, and you can still hear the live audio, he led his large group of people, his flock really, into drinking cyanide-laced Kool-Aid. Too cowardly though to drink it himself, he ordered someone to shoot him. The world is full of charlatans and it's been full of false prophets. You've even seen the likes of David Koresh in the 90s with the Branch Davidians at Waco, Texas proclaimed to be the new Messiah and that didn't turn out well either. The disciples of Jesus in his own day nor disciples of Christ in our day nor disciples of any time should ever be shocked by the presence of false leaders who promise too much or who require all authority over the followers, or who require pure allegiance for the promise of a better world. Hitler promised a supreme race and a clean society. Applewhite in Heaven's Gate promised cosmos, cosmic escape from this mortal coil through mass suicide. You can still see televangelists come on the TV late at night who are clearly charlatans because they say, if you only give money to my ministry, I'll give you a miracle spring water from southern Russia. It will cure what ails you. These and many others have mounted a forceful insurgence upon God's kingdom. They want a full measure of God's goodness, and so they try to go after it whatever way they can they try to go around the wall to get in God's kingdom. Sometimes people try to go over the top of it and still others with great force try to knock it down to go in through whatever hole can be created. But the motive is always the same for these false leaders. It's to achieve the goodness of God by one's own, by one's own means, not by God's. The problem the problem is that they respect, they lack the respect required of the gatekeeper who is Christ alone. This is most certainly the nature of all sin. It's not simply the nature of a megalomaniac or a charismatic personality who would lead a flock astray. No, it's the nature of all sin when we don't have respect for the gatekeeper. You remember the land in the Old Testament? If you read the Old Testament carefully, there is clearly a covenant at play. The covenant exists between God, the community, and the land. That means soil, geography, and all the inhabitants thereon. Here's the deal. God had a plan for it all. God's ways were made known. God said, you know, every now and again the land requires rest, a Sabbath. Each animal does too. Do not order the world by your own means, my people, but by my means, says God. Leviticus tells us many times over this great warning to the people of God. If you try to control the land by your own means, if you try to get out of it all that you want or all that you fancy or all that you can and forget my ways and fail to give it its due Sabbath, I tell you what's going to happen, people. I'm going to take you out of the land. And I'm going to let that land have all the Sabbaths that you ignored it and failed to give it over the years. This is the nature 
of sin from the book of Genesis through the book of Revelation into today. So much of sin is when we try to attain what we imagine to be good in our own way, in our own time, and by our own means, and for our ends, not the ends of our good Lord. Now, according to Christ, there is one gatekeeper into this kingdom, and it is He alone. Christ's leadership is different than that of the leadership of other shepherds. He's not a tyrannical overlord despot. He's not self-interested. He's not even a populist leader, nor is he predicating his ministry and leadership on the fashionable desires of the day. Rather, he leads like a shepherd. Christ is the good shepherd. That means something profound to me. It means that Jesus has a way of leading. He leads with his followers, among his followers. He serves them for their good end, for their own health, and for their own nourishment. He looks to their interests. What is that old adage that they say? A good shepherd smells like his sheep. Indeed, Jesus is the good shepherd who was never over his people so much as he was with them. Which, let me tell you, friends, it sounds nice, and all of you are nodding your heads, thinking about how you wished your boss were this way, or your political representation were this way. But the reason why most people aren't is because it's a risky form of leadership indeed. You see, sheep famously go astray. They frustrate shepherds. Sheep famously get into trouble, causing danger to actually come upon the entire flock. Sheep are stubborn, and sometimes, even when the shepherd is gentle and reaches out his hand to care for a lost sheep, sometimes sheep will bite their shepherd's hands. I once had a football coach who tried his very best as the shepherd of the team and the program to bring people along into it, to give them leadership roles, to give them a share in the vision of everything. The problem was is we were lousy. I mean, we had 30 people less than every football team we played. My dad used to hold the first down marker and would say, that as he looked out at the two lines, their line would always be about a head and a set of shoulders above our line. We were small, we were slow, we couldn't catch, and we couldn't throw. <laughs> you can't do much with that. I've seen Bad News Bears, but it's a lie. So, this one day, he hires this new freshman, sophomore football coach, a real hot shot. And he was coming in with all kinds of ideas, and he was given the ability to use his philosophies to a certain degree in his own area. He was you know, being with in the leadership process. Something happened. He started talking up a good game against old Coach Smith, started creating divisions amongst the players, whispering in their ears about how the coach had a bad philosophy or the coach didn't know how to coach right. You'd see him at the end of practice, you know, wearing a T-shirt and gym shorts with a little whistle around his neck, arms crossed, legs wide, doing one of these things, talking to the boosters, whispering as the coach went by, only to run him down further when he was gone. Sometimes when you lead like a shepherd, you even get bit. It's a risky way of leadership. 
But Jesus is the good shepherd. So if Jesus is the good shepherd, what is the implication for his disciples, ancient day or modern day? It's quite obvious. We followers of Jesus Christ are his sheep. And the good news is we sheep have a very, very good shepherd. You see, the good shepherd knows each of his own sheep by name. And sheep who follow this good shepherd learn the timber of the master's voice. They know his voice. There is a deep and abiding relationship there between Jesus and his own disciples, so much so that that good shepherd would prove the profundity of his love by laying down his life for the sheep. Did you know that Jesus knows your name? My question for you is, Have you trained yourself to hear his voice? Church, I have a problem this morning. I should say that we all have a problem today. There are many who claim to belong to the flock of the good shepherd. Many claim to hear his voice. Many say, my name is known by him. If so, then they will follow the shepherd through the gates into the kingdom of God, into that place of green pasture where an abundant goodness of nourishing, life-giving food is there for them. But they will be also on the way out of those gates from time to time, on mission, and as a nourished, abounding with life creature, they will be a proper testimony to the goodness of the pastures that exist beyond the gates. This is all to say that when you follow the good shepherd, you will be peacefully led by him into a place that is beyond all that you can muster on your own. So when you come back out into the world, as it were, with people, with other sheep who are not with the good shepherd, they will look at you and say, wow, there is something good, something life-giving about that person. Maybe I will follow them back to their shepherd. Maybe they will learn that Jesus knows their voice too. And maybe they will learn to hear from him. Yet, as I briefly noted, I have a problem. Again, the problem is this. Many people say they belong to shepherd to know his voice. They say their name is known. They say they're in the flock. But so many quite obviously exhibit the marks of thievery and death more so than they do abundant life. It appears that many think that they hear the voice of the shepherd, but They've been actually duped by the seductive allure of other voices and other stories and alternative pathways, other promises of a life flourished. They've been seduced into a mission that is not in full keeping with God's kingdom. Now, as I said, there are other voices, and they're alluring, and they're seductive, and it's because here's the story It's that we are storytelling beings and story-receiving beings, and stories are so profound. Sometimes we have been told stories our whole lives. We live by them consciously or subconsciously and don't realize that they are antithetical to the gospel. Let me give you a few. The American dream. The American dream. You know, in the gospels and in that back window facing Spring Street, We have a reflection of the gospel where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Yet we have told immigrants and people from nations all across the world, what? Give me your poor. Give me your tired. 
Give me all those and I will take care of them. We have actually put our national dream on par with the gospel. That's bad. We say the sky's the limit. If you can dream it, you can see it, you can do it, you can be it. Follow your bliss, we tell people. Work hard to pick yourself up by your bootstraps. You can have whatever you want. You can fulfill all of your hopes. But really, is a house, a career, is any of it large enough to fill that God-shaped hole that each and every single one of us has? Is it enough to satiate our longing? Is it enough to give us contentment for eternity? I say no. Well, we also have another story that we tell a lot that doesn't seem to measure up to me. It's the story of consumerism. It says that you're a consumer, and it says that you're meant to consume whatever you wish, whenever you like, however much. It's all up to you. And there are two twin deities in the ideology of consumerism. One is choice, and the other is convenience. It's all about choice, my friends. Let's put it up there. Let's get to see who gets to choose what, and that will reign supreme. You know, but it makes me sad, because we've actually turned life into a commodity today, a consumable item we choose life when we want it, and we don't choose it when we don't want it, when it's not convenient for us. Oh, friends, if you want to mix choice with convenience, you've got a potent thing. I better not talk about it anymore. You'll run me out of here with pitchforks. Don't ever make something inconvenient today. Third is technocentricism. I know, $10 word, right? Let me tell you what it means. It means the idea of innovation and technology is the center part of your worldview. E.F. Schumacher wrote a book called Small is Beautiful. In it, he says that this follows the storyline called the, sta the forward stampede of modernity. I know, more $10 language, but let me tell you what it means. It means we have this kind of impulse in our society that says we need to create new, more, bigger now. Never asking the question, at what cost? At what impact to others? It, what negative, deleterious effect to the world around us, because we know that whatever cost there is, we'll just come up with some bigger, better, more clever technology down the road later that'll solve the problems of our current crisis. My wife would say that that is the very definition of immaturity, for matur maturity itself is the prolongation of gratification, isn't it? Oh, but lastly, these three are unmatched, and they line up to prove to make one very difficult for this minister, and that is the concept of a self-serving church. We've come up with a notion that churches are places with products and services that we either select because we want them or we reject them because they don't fit our perceived needs in the moment. We talk about this thing called church shopping. Oh, what a swear word to my ears. All of the above, though, imply that the shepherd that we follow is really just a hidden version of our own self, of our own desire, of our own interest. It's all propped up and covered over by fancy speech and high ideals. It's not plain, but all exist to simply please ourselves. And the kind of shepherd there produces no community or no ethic. It simply says, look out for yourself as long as you don't hurt anyone else too much. And I say, that's a banal vision of the world. Friends, by contrast, 
The story we've been given because of Jesus this morning tells us that we have a shepherd, and it tells us what kind of shepherd we have. We have one who is deemed worthy by the Father. We have one who is gently walking ever so with his followers. We have one who protects and gives nourishment to his followers. We have a life-giving shepherd who cares about the wholeness of his people, and we have a shepherd who will lay down his life for his followers. It's a question. If that's the kind of shepherd we have, what kind of community ought it create? Not one of self-interest. Not one about your dreams. The kind of community that that kind of shepherd would create is not one that says, come through my gates. Here's a green lush, all-you-can-eat buffet. No, it says, I have real food. I have real nourishment. I have what you need. And after you've gotten your fill, go back out into the world and invite others to come and receive and give it to others. Follow my lead, says the good shepherd, where you will show love for others, enemy and friend alike, by laying down your life, by self-giving love for other people. That's the kind of good shepherd we follow, and that's the kind of community the good shepherd wants to create. He wants to create a life-giving community where we assume the best of one another. He wants to create a life-giving community where authority is not something that we desire, but it's simply something we are called or not called to. He wants to give us a community that is based on love, where our things are no longer just our things, but our things are given to us that we may bless others, that we may be a people who have all things in common. If you follow the good shepherd today, I wonder, if you meditate on the good shepherd's gifts, I wonder, how will it change you? And what kind of community will it continue to engender here? I don't know the depths of where it will take you, but I do know someone who tried very hard. It's a young woman and a young man who were recently married They'd only been married a few weeks, actually. And as they were driving down a highway in their hometown, they got into a wreck with a tractor trailer. In fact, the driver was the husband, and he was the one who was most affected. For the first little while of ICU and everything else, it was known quickly he was going to be a quadriplegic, and he was also unresponsive to much else going on in the room. He was fed, and he was changed. He was cared for. Totally. Couldn't communicate. And that looked like the way it was going to be for some time, at least, barring miracles. His wife, his young wife cried. His mom and dad cried. Their friends mourned. And they sat there day in and day out. And everybody grew compassionate towards this, this young woman. That's her whole life in front of her. What's she going to do? She doesn't deserve this. She was a young woman committed to the good shepherd. It had an impact on her imagination. I know because whenever the young man's parents said, honey, please listen to us. You have our blessing to divorce our son. You can go. You, you, you don't deserve that. You, you have a life ahead of you. Go, go and fulfill your dreams Go find new love. Go find someone who can fulfill you uh, communally and emotionally and all those ways. And they appealed to her in tears. And she sat there quietly and looked up at them after a moment and said, 
for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness, and in health. I'm not sure I have the vocation of love in my heart to be so selfless. Good shepherd did. He knows my name. I'm trying to hear his voice. And he's calling me to ever deeper levels of following him. Do you know your good shepherd? Does he know your name? Can you hear his voice? He's calling you deeper. He's calling you to more. Bless you.